The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. We're going to have three guests now in relation to the latest on the RTE Ryan Tuberty scandal. We're going to find preview what's going to happen at the Oireachtas Committees with Sean Defoe, uh, Bowers' political uh, correspondent. Then we're going to speak to the, the voice of the staff, Emma O'Kelly, RTE's education correspondent and chair of the Dublin Broadcasting Branch of the NUJ. And we're going to speak to the former Midlands RTE correspondent, Kira Malouli. Sean, if I could start with you... My fear is that this could be a bit of an anti-climax today. Is it confirmed that just the chairperson and the acting DG will be the only people to turn up before the media committee today? Uh, so as of now, they are the only two who have confirmed. And if it is, it could be a little bit of a damn squib later on because Adrian Lynch, the interim assistant director general, has said, you know, he didn't know anything about this. And Shuni Raleigh, the chair of the board, uh, only came in as chair of the board at the end of last year. And so her time didn't cover any of this. Now, a lot of the TD senators are hopeful that some of the other people they extended the invitation to will come. We know D4 is not going to do so for health reasons. But I think that report and that statement that came out from RT last night outlines sort of a a chain of custody, if you like, of people who at least had some knowledge, if not the full knowledge of what was going on. And they're the people they want to hear from. But as of uh, five minutes ago, when I checked in last with the committee, no one else has confirmed. And the meeting is 1.30 today and Neve Smith will chair it. And tomorrow we have the PAC. So this nine page statement is sent to us. Now, I went back to D Forbes' statement and there are two lines which I think are absolutely contradictory. And Dee says, following detailed discussions, including numerous internal communications over many months with an RTE, colleagues, including finance and legal, an agreement was reached and so on uh, with Ryan Tuberty. I mean, like, she surely kept some emails. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's very easy in this day and age to find out, you know, what actually happened. But the, the other point is this. The whole point of an executive board is the principle of collective responsibility. That seems to have gone out the window. Yeah, completely. Like, it was a remarkable statement yesterday where they hung all the blame on the Director General, that the big statement being that no member of the RT Executive Board other than the DG had all the necessary information in order to understand the publicly declared figures for Ryan Tuberty could have been wrong. And then, incredibly, again, they listed out all the different members of that Executive Board and why they weren't culpable or why, why the knowledge they had was sort of siloed to one specific element that made sure that they weren't particularly culpable. And I think from talking to members of the committee, there are a number of different people that they would like to speak to. So, obviously, we learned in this statement yesterday that when there was a verbal agreement for Orti to underwrite these extra 75,000 euro payments, the people in the room were uh, Noel, Noel Kelly or a representative of Noel Kelly, the agent of Ryan Tuberty, D Forbes and an Orti solicitor. So who was that? Solicitor committee members are, are wondering and what legal advice did they give? There's also then the question of chief financial officers who was involved in negotiating the deal. Now the chief financial officer changed in January of 2020. Uh, Bridger O'Keefe left the role. She would have done, it seems, the substantial negotiation on this deal and Richard Collins came into it and the statement yesterday said that basically when he came in the bones of this was all in place. You then have the commercial director Geraldine O'Leary and the the role that she would have played in negotiating the initial deal, this tripartite arrangement as they're calling it, with Renault and then trying to keep that on for successive years which was ultimately unsuccessful and the other person that the uh, document says was aware of this tripartite deal, of this extra deal uh, was Jim Jennings, the director of content who was also involved in parts of the negotiation
Association, but it says it uh, didn't know that RTE had underwritten that amount. So all of those are questions, all of those are going to be invited, if not before the committee today, certainly most of them, with the exception, I think, of Jim Jennings, have been invited to appear before the Public Accounts Committee tomorrow, which has listed 16 people it wants to hear from, including former Director General Steve Forbes, Noel Curran, uh, incoming Director General Kevin Backhurst as well. And there's interesting parts, just speaking to members of the committee, Ivan, like little details that came out that we didn't know yesterday. For example, the sort of scuttlebutt around was that this contract didn't have a huge amount of time left to run. We now know that's not true. It's uh, from July 2020 until March 2025 and in the audit. Sorry, do we have any idea in terms of Ryan's ongoing contract to do the radio show 9 to 10, what he's being paid for that? Well, no, we don't. This is the other interesting bit because under the contract that was agreed, this extra seventy-five thousand euro, according to the legal team from RT, was underwritten for all five years. So you would have to take the suggestion under that that he's owed another hundred and fifty thousand outside of his contract amount. But as we learned from Claire Byrne earlier on in the week, when you give up a big TV commitment, in her case being the Monday night show, uh, in Ryan's case being the late late, there is usually a renegotiation of that contract because obviously you're only you're not doing what you initially agreed to. So we don't know what the terms of that contract were. Does that mean? that there has to be a renegotiation now and if so obviously everything is complicated okay. by the fact so, that so it seems to me so question marks there. okay it seems to me totally predictable that we're going to have classic stonewalling uh, based on the nine page statement how do you think the politicians will react to that uh, well, quite angry. I think they've already said and privately they're saying it much more strongly than publicly that if they stonewall, this is going to drag on and on and on for RT, that it will not be acceptable. And even if Adrian Lynch and Shuni Rattley come in and give the best of their knowledge, their knowledge is not really sufficient to answer all the questions that we have. You also have a case now where the second Grant Thornton report into the money prior to 2020, which no one seems to have a clue about, who's spoken publicly so far, is probably not going to be ready for at least three or four weeks. So now you're talking about dragging it beyond the Dáil recess, the possibility of the committee sitting again through that recess and this becoming a story which dominates the generally quieter news agenda of August. So the politicians have been very firm when I've been talking to them. They're absolutely not going to let this go. They have serious questions about whether this sort of unique accounting arrangement, if you wanted to put it euphemistically, is the first time this has happened. Did they just dream this up for Ryan Tuberty suddenly uh, in the, the autumn of 2019 and whether or not it's happened before and that there are a lot more people who might have known about it than maybe we've okay. learned, uh, learned of. Today. One tangential issue, a, a report was published also last night into complaints within the staff working in the current affairs uh, department about lack of gender equality and lack of opportunity, maybe at research production level with female staff. Um, I would have thought with Miriam and Sarah McInerney that actually they were quite high profile female. What, what exactly is the story there? Yeah, well, there have been some high profile promotions with the likes of those and the likes of Claire Byrne in the last few years. But certainly there is questions at other levels of the organisation about whether it is easy to advance as a woman in the organisation. And as a, as a young person, you have a lot more young people leaving RTE, for example, particularly in the newsroom recently, which is something you just wouldn't have seen in the past. If you got a job in RTE, you were sort of in, in for life. Whereas now there are questions about the opportunities to advance within the organisation and the general culture, which is something that the governance review has announced this week is going to look at, uh, but has been a complaint for a while. And when RT staff have been asking for relatively small things, you know, a, a new iPhone to do their media job or something to be improved or upgraded in the office, they've sort of been stonewalled and said the money isn't there. Now to learn that actually, well, look, the money was there. It was just going somewhere else, I think is a, is a bit more of a kick in the teeth.
All right. Well, you can expect to hear a lot more throughout the day from Sean Defoe, News Talk's political correspondent, as matters unfold at the committee. Thank you for joining us. Emma O'Kelly, welcome to the programme. Of course, RT's education correspondent and chair of the Dublin Broadcasting Branch of the NUJ and, and the public voice of the staff uh, uh, in, in RTE. Welcome to the programme, Emma. Thank you, um, uh, First of all, what's your reaction, considered reaction, to the management statement? Well, I've been looking through it again this morning, Ivan, and I have to say there's so many elements in that statement and in the deal that was struck, the deals that just appear to me to be grubby. Um, the, the channeling of funds through a UK account, um, calling this a consultancy fee when it was nothing of the kind, and the Grant Thornton report makes that clear, that just seems to me, again, grubby. The lengths also that RT went to to keep uh, the, the, the reality of this agreement secret, not naming Ryan Tuberty uh, or the real purpose of this tripart agreement. Again, just grubby. And finally, the fact that RTE was paying itself for the hosting of commercial sponsorship events. In the, this case, the, the commercial partner was Reynolds. I mean, that's just, there's just no place for something like that, or there should be no place uh, for for uh, something like that within RTE, um, and as I read all this, I'm I'm thinking of again how, and I know staff in RTE, my colleagues will also be thinking of this, that it just seems to reinforce the notion that there's one rule for some very highly paid people in the organisation and another rule for all the rest of us. And what I mean by that is, if viewers or if listeners had any idea of the level of scrutiny that myself and my colleagues in the newsroom, for example, are subjected to in terms of, you know, little requests we might get to do unpaid uh, work or appearances. For example, recently I was asked to to record a two-minute video uh, for trainee teachers who were graduating at Mary Immaculate College. Unpaid, of course. Uh, but I had to ask for formal permission for that. And my bosses came back and said, OK, Emma, what, what do you think you're going to say? I had to tell them. Um, and only then did I get uh, the go-ahead to go ahead. And this can be annoying, a bit irritating for us, but we completely support uh, the, the, the rationale behind this level of probity. But then when we see, um, you know, RTE paying for the hosting of commercial sponsorship events, uh, it related to Ryan Tuberty. Uh, like the contradiction there is just enormous. Okay, and I, I appreciate it. It must be galling uh, for people on the specific issue of the D, the former DG versus the executive board members and responsibility. Do you have any opinion on that? Because I'm conscious they're your bosses. You've got to deal with these people. Yeah. Um, y- y- I mean, you pointed out the contradiction. In this, this statement, says that only the Director-General had all the necessary information on this. Um, now, as you said, that is, is, would seem to be in direct contradiction uh, of what Dee Forbes herself is saying in, in her prior statement. She said that she did this, you know, in consultation with people in the financial and legal area. Um, so on the one hand, if, if Dee Forbes was the only person who had all the information, well, that's hard to believe, and it's, it's wrong if that was the case. That's not any way to do business. Um, but was it the case? Um, you know, we don't know. Um, so that's that's something we need to find out much more about. All right. And, 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 and tell me this. I mean, you know, there's a lot of former uh, news talk people work in RTE and some of them are very high profile. Uh, and I think within the media of people who work in print and local uh, media and so on, there is a sense that, that kind of 
uh, RTE was on the high altar of resources, accountability, and all this is is in terms of the feelings that you now have from this saga. You you mentioned the word grubby. What is the sense? Is it a sense of embarrassment? Is it a, a game changer? Is it a sense of shame? How would you articulate the feelings of the staff? It is a, a sense of outrage. I, I got an email from a colleague uh, yet, the day before yesterday and she was saying my blood is boiling and she had outlined her own personal circumstances. So people are just furious and we're furious because, uh, we, you know, it, as I said yesterday, this is both unbelievable for all the obvious reasons but it's, it's also believable to us inside RTE because we knew for a long time that there was this kind of two-tier thing going on. I mean, again, we heard colleagues yesterday, and by the way, we were, we were at the, the end that we're, we were the ones who were suffering as a result of this. We heard colleagues yesterday, uh, we had heard Cuivany Line, for example, from Newark, uh, talking about the fact that they have no camera crew at the weekend. They have to go and try to catch a camera crew from the English language service. Um, my colleagues Sinead Hussey and Laura Hogan, our two newest regional correspondents, they have a remit, uh, and it's a remit that they are, they are really, really mindful of and proud of, to report uh, from their areas, from the Midlands and the Northeast, to the best of their abilities, but neither of them have a dedicated camera crew. So it, they are absolutely hamstrung in their efforts to serve the people in those areas, as those people are entitled to be served by the national broadcaster. So all of these things um, have been very, all the, the shortcomings and the failings that we are so conscious of um, are, have been very much to the fore among um, my colleagues as we, as we listen to this news and we see this all playing out and we look for answers from our corporate bosses. All right. Uh uh, uh, um, Emma O'Kelly, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, telling it as it is in terms of the staff pers- perspective, uh, feelings of deep anger and upset. Well, now, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome Kieran Maluli, who I've known for many years, of course, from the Midlands, uh, RT's iconic correspondent, who hasn't actually been replaced. Good morning, Kieran. Ivan, good morning to you. Uh, I have to just correct you on one quick issue. My job lead vacant for over a year when I, I did retire two years ago. Yeah, That was one of the issues, I think, uh, pointed out to RT in, in RT internally as, as a cost-saving measure that was going on. But I am glad to say uh, Sinead Hussey, my fellow... Oh, she covers your area as well. Uh, I thought she was the northeast. Now. Yeah, oh, I see. Yeah, she's okay. now, now covering the Midlands independently. I'm very, very familiar with that. Can I put a broader picture to you? And I've heard you speak, and was watching you on The Tonight Show and so on, about the lack of resources. And so I started accidental career in in broadcasting in 09. I worked on TV and radio. And I would have observed basically a halving of of presenter pay over the period. I would have observed a digital landscape whereby business has been decimated, loss of advertising, print nearly going out of business, local radio, regional press, all suffering because 80%, 83% of news is absorbed by apps that people won't pay for. Could I put it to you that that in all of this coverage for RTE, there's a sense of unreality that, that, you know, the whole industry is in a meltdown state and Ryan Tuberty's issue won't solve that. Ivan, the, the truth is there's been a sense of unreality about the salaries being paid to the top celebrities in RTE. Going back to the, to the period after the retirement of Gay Barn, 
you'll remember, this is not new. And, and Dean Forbes is certainly not to blame for this culture, which began in RTE. It began after the, the, the retirement of, of Gay Byrne, who had told the station he would leave. And, and indeed, many people agreed that he would be paid more to work in the UK. But I'm afraid in the aftermath of his retirement, a line uh, was, was drawn. Up to 10 people joined that queue. And RTE management at the time made a decision which was inexplicable to the staff. And I was there. We pointed out to the staff. We, uh, we, we pointed out to the managers. The then Director General, Carl Gorn, was asked about this issue. Why are we paying these ridiculous price, uh, prices and fees to, to presenters? Why are we doing it? Who is going? We asked the question, which other broadcaster on these islands is going to pay these presenters the fees? And we were given vague answers and vague responses. We never accepted it, but we went along so, with So you, you're saying it's actually a structural problem almost? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think in, the, in terms of, and we've seen this yesterday and with the publication of the report, you know, what type of an organisation uh, has, uh, at the end of the day, their director general signing off on, on a... On a, on a a top stars. At the end of the day, what kind of an organisation turns around with its management team turns around and now blames the director general for taking the decision at the top? And what, what's your own? answer? What's your answer to those questions? Well, it's very straightforward, uh, Ivan. If you work in business, or if you, and you have done for many, many years, I work now in community development. If I'm involved in the morning in any project in the museum, I have a thing called a purchase order in front of me. I must raise a purchase order in my organisation for a finance. If I'm spending ten thousand euros. Sure or 800,000 euro, I must go in and I must justify the, the spending based on the budget that I have from my job. Now, this obviously didn't happen in RT. There's a total collapse of the system there. And questions must be asked going back of the systems put in place by the CFOs in the organization and the other executive team members. DFORM certainly has questions to answer here. But you, you saw last night, there are at least five or six other members of the RT executive who were aware of the deal that was being made here. And they have questions to answer as well. And I hope that, well, DFORS may not be available. I hope that these other people referred to last night will be brought before the Oireachtas committees and ask these questions. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.